You may have a seat. We are going to continue our series on trust. Before I do, though, I just want to uh, just congratulate Russ and Cherie for being married. Russ, I know you're in the booth, but just stand up. Just Let's just yay God. Yay God, man. <clears throat> what an honor it was to officiate uh, your wedding, Russ. Love you. You're a brother and a great friend. A great friend. Uh, we're going to continue this series on trust. And uh, we're, we're, we're turning the tables a little bit. Because so often in the church, uh, we talk about... Uh, do we trust God? Which is great, because the Bible talks about that a lot. Uh, so do you trust God today? It's an important question. Uh, we, we have all degrees of trust, right? Uh, some of you uh, have, uh, you would say you have faith in God. You have faith in Jesus for uh, all of your life, which is great. Uh, some of you would say you have faith for Jesus faith in God for most of your life. We just must be friends. It's all right. Uh, you know, and, and some of you are here, you, you're saying, I want to have faith. Have you ever talked to that person? They want to have faith. They can't quite cross that line of trusting God, but they want to. They have the want to. But, but in this series, we're going to be talking about not so much do we trust God, but does God trust us? Does God trust me? Uh, does God trust you here today? Does God trust you? Now, uh, trust is the foundation of all relationships. Would you agree? Without trust, there's no relationship. Uh, if you ever want to destroy a relationship, break trust. We probably have too many testimonies here in this room, simply because of the human condition. But it's really difficult. It takes a lot of skill, a lot of dedication, a lot of commitment to not only keep trust, but gain trust and even improve on trust. And here's one thing I know about God. He will never tempt me, but he will test me. He will never tempt me, but he will test me. And he will test you because he wants to gain your trust. And he wants to be able to trust you. And here's what we learned last week in this parable, uh, oftentimes called the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, uh, that uh, the, the more God will trust us, the more he'll what? The more he'll give us. As far as his riches, his kingdom, how he wants the world to function and the world to operate through your life. Through your life. You see, one of the benefits of being right with God is not just so I can sit in my living room and just like repeat a mantra that I'm right with God. Right? Being right with God is not about me. Being right with God is about allowing God to have more access to me to establish his kingdom here on earth. You see, your righteousness in Christ is more than about you. Just turn to someone and say, it's not about you. Come on, help me out. It's not 
about you. Now, you and I get the benefits. We get the benefit of being right with God and God working through us. I, I, I call it getting a front row seat in, in, in the kingdom of God when God uses me. It wasn't me, but it was God through me, and I get a front row seat to see how God's transforming individuals, families, the world, our community, how God's doing that here on earth. And I want that front row seat. We, we talked last week about um, those who God trusts, he will give more. He will allow you to live in abundance. Remember what abundance was? Simple definition. Abundance, it, it's the more God gives me when I am faithful with the little he gave me. Now, let me repeat that. This is real simple to me. This is real simple. Hopefully it's simple to you. Abundance is the more God gives me when I'm faithful with the little that he gave me. Well, that makes sense, right? Come on. So you got to think in terms of continual improvement or incremental growth in Christ. It's incremental. Think of a think of a flower or a bush or a garden or an orchard. How it grows slowly, consistently, constantly. Anyone with tomatoes or whatever, it's a constant, continual growth. And God's, when God sees you, he wants to see a consistent, continual growth in your life. Consistent, continual in your life. Now today, the second part of trust, I'm going to talk about, I'm just calling this financial peace. How to live on this earth in peace when it comes to your resources, when it comes to your finances. And that happens when we understand what the purpose of those resources are. The purpose of those resources. And we're going to walk through that today to understand the why behind why God gives us more. Why would God give us more? What's the why? What's the purpose behind our ability to earn to have resources, to have um, access to tools that might benefit others' lives. What, what does that look like? I think once we understand God's purpose and design in finances, we can live in peace. I'm not going to focus on it today, but um, some of you, when it comes to finances, uh, your, your motto is, why pray when I can worry. Come on. There's a couple of you out there. Right. Right. You're like, man, if I pray, I'll stop worrying. And if I stop worrying, I won't know who I am. Come on. Come on. Let's be honest. Some of you hand ringers out there, you wouldn't know what to do with your hands if you couldn't ring them. The Bible says, uh, instead of worrying, we should do what? We should pray. Pray, pray. And that's kind of the spirit of what we're, we're going to dive into today. So our, our main verse, our main uh, parable, if you would, uh, for this series is Matthew 25, Parable of the Talents. And just a reminder, verse, 20, verse 14 of Matthew 25 says this, Again, 
The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave one servant five talents, the other two, and the third one. These were large sums of money, very large sums of money. And the expectation was, while he was gone, they were going to multiply the resources he gave. He said, they're going to multiply. Now, we know that two of them did a good job. Yay, 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 yay. But we had one bad servant. Bad, 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 bad. I'm going to say bad. Bad. He was, he was, he was snubbing his nose at God. We're, we're, we're going to focus on him in a couple of weeks. Not yet. Not yet. We just want to make sure none of us is servant number three. Come on. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. So that's kind of the gist of it. And we know that from last week going through this, that the ones who were faithful were able to celebrate with the master. There's joy when we're faithful. There's joy when we're faithful. Not so much when we're not faithful. Generally, when we're not faithful, we're hiding from God, right? I mean, come on. We, we move in. You know what hypocrisy is? I, I can help you out right now to never be a hypocrite again as far as your faith. You, you, want, you want, want me to tell you? Never be a hypocrite ever again. Uh, when, when, when you talk about your faith, talk about how you not only needed God when you got saved, but you need him more today. This, this is how you remove yourself from it. Anytime you're sharing your faith or talking about your faith, you lead with your weakness. This is, this is called humility. Right? Humility is not denying your strengths. It's admitting your weaknesses. And the world who doesn't know God, it, they, they are dying to hear authentic followers of Jesus. Not only talk about how God saved them, but how God's helping them in their weaknesses today. God's healing us. So all I have is from God and ultimately is God's. I am a steward of his riches. Do you believe that today? All. Everyone say all. By the way, all in the Greek means all I have is from God and is God's. And I am a steward. I'm not the owner of them. I am the steward. Not the owner. I am the steward of whatever he has entrusted to me. In the story of Matthew 25, verse 15 says that he gave these five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. So God's going to give you what you can handle. He, he won't give you any more, but he won't give you any less. So whatever he's given you, he believes you can manage it. You can handle it. Now, I'm going to move into another teaching of Jesus in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. And he's going to talk about his perspective of resources uh, here on earth for his followers. Here's how Jesus sees our resources. Now, 
my recommendation for you and for me is however Jesus sees it, I should see it the same way. Right? You, you want to live a happy, fulfilled life. You want to live a life where one day you can look back with very few of no regrets, see the world the way Jesus does, and live it accordingly. Do you know the word praise actually means when you align yourself with God's word and God's will? Anytime you do that, you're praising God. Anytime you say, oh, man, look at me. I'm off course. I'm going to change my way of doing something. I'm going to align it with God's way. You are praising God. Are you a person of praise? Are you a person of praise? So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. And this is moving us towards a peace and understanding of finances. He says, uh, do not store up treasures here on earth. Should we just close in prayer? (laughs) You you know, sometimes, sometimes people say to me, the Bible's so difficult to understand. And I get that. I understand that. Uh, But oftentimes, the Bible's too clear for me to want to understand. Do not store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and a rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal instead verse 20 store your treasures in heaven so there's this idea that you and I can send it ahead so you got to imagine a, a, a ledger in heaven with your name on it You and I can send it ahead. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This this last part is so critical to understand. Some people believe that whatever my heart loves, my money will follow. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Here's what he's saying. Wherever you put your money, your heart will follow. Come on. This is so critical. Yet. So critical. Wherever, if you don't believe this, buy stock in a company. Come on. You've got a few people with stock. Right? You will become a cheerleader for that company. If it's in Coke and your friend's drinking Pepsi, you're going to knock it out of their hand and get them a Coke. Come on. If you don't believe this is true, try putting your money into some company or some investment and see if you're not a cheerleader for that company or that investment. Wherever your money is, your heart will follow. And I'm going to say something. I'm going to say it with love. But it's true, this is why some Christ followers have no motivation for eternity. Come on. Because their heart is not there because they haven't sent anything ahead. This is so true. This is so true. These are Jesus' words. And I just want to say, 
Yay and amen to them. Yay and amen. So again, I've got to align my thoughts and my actions with his words. Here's the beauty of that. Not only do, do those around me benefit, but I receive a benefit from that. I get a benefit from seeing the world. The way he does, verse uh, 24 of Matthew 6, Jesus says these words, No one can serve two masters. Do you believe that? Can't do it. Can't do it. I think the most miserable place to be on earth is when a Christian has one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. Trying to live in both. Trying to enjoy the world, areas they know they probably shouldn't. Trying to be right with God and right stuck in the middle and absolutely miserable. Have you ever been there? I got to tell you, the heathen who's all in the world is enjoying their life way more than the Christ follower trying to do both. Now, the best place to be, of course, is all in with God. All in with God. So no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Do you believe that today? Can we, can we just covenant to believe that as a church? This is so true. This is so true. You can't do it. So here's what this boils down to. You get to pick one of two things. Isn't this great? You get a choice. But it's binary. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, they're mutually exclusive. Okay? You get to choose one or the other. You can love people and use money, or you can love money and use people. There is no in-between. Now, I know you. You love people and use money for the glory of God. Come on. Right? Right? I, I'm, I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt here, folks. Right? By faith, I'm believing that. <laughs> By faith, I'm believing that. You love people and you use money wisely for the purposes of God. This is a matter of the hearts. This is a matter of the heart. How we take what God's given us and utilize it. Then Jesus says this in verse 24 and 25 of Matthew 6. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food, drink, clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food, your body more than clothing? Jesus tries to move us into a place where we're not worrying. I, I, just from my own testimony, my own experience, when I'm worrying, I'm not achieving what God wants me to do. When I'm worrying, I'm not living by faith in the areas where God wants me to go. So worry literally freezes us. It, it's an arrested development moment for us in the kingdom of God. So worry is something God wants us to live without. This includes our finances. Now, there's another parable Jesus teaches on. I'm going to walk through it. It's in Luke 16, and it's the parable of the shrewd manager. It's a great story. Great story. But here's the, here's the main point, verse 9. I've, I've got it on the outline. Verse 9 of Luke 16. 
here's the lesson, and then we're going we're to back and walk through this, but here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. I, I want to walk through this parable. This parable will literally set you free uh, from the love of money and from being ineffective in the areas of the Great Commission, uh, in the areas of worry. I mean, there's so much liberation in this parable. It will listen to the Master himself, Jesus himself. You know, being a Christ follower, being a disciple of Jesus means we receive his teachings and we apply them to our life, right? That's what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. We hear his teachings, we receive his teachings, and then we, we, we live our life based upon his teachings. Verse 16, chapter 16, verse 1 of Luke says, uh, Jesus tells this parable. Jesus told his disciples, and by the way, he's telling his disciples but in the background of the story are the Pharisees. This happens often with Jesus. Oftentimes with Jesus, he's talking to the disciples, but he knows the Pharisees can hear him. So he's talking to both crowds, right? He's talking to both. Just keep that in mind. So Jesus told his disciples, uh, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Uh, just before this in Luke, we have the story of the prodigal son, or the lost son. And we know the prodigal son, if you're familiar with the story, he had wasted his inheritance. And very similar language here. This manager of the rich person was wasting the rich person's money. Verse 2, so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. Because you cannot be manager any longer. So what, what the, what the uh, owner is, is asking him to do is, is to give a final account, an accurate account, before he lets him go. Which, by the way, is why many companies <laughs> don't give you a chance to give a final account. Okay? Right? They just call you in the office. It's so cold. It's so cruel. But there's a reason for it. We're going to see why here. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master, my master has taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Now, he's going to talk about being welcomed into their homes. He's going to curry favor with people. And Jesus, in verse 9 here, is talking about us being welcomed into our eternal home. So there's going to be a parallel here in the story. Verse 5, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. So he has the responsibility with the debtors. He calls them in. He asks the first one, how much do you owe my master? And the answer is 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill Sit down quickly and make it 400. <clears throat> this guy is going to cheat the owner of the company. Any owners of company in here? <clears throat> Any owners? Oof. It's not good. Not good. 
He is shrewd, and he is going to he's going to make the owner's life even more difficult. The manager told him, "Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred. Then he asked the second, "And how much do you owe?" A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, "Take your bill and make it eight hundred." Now, the as the story goes here. Uh, from what I read, there's probably more than just two. He's calling in several debtors here that he wants to curry favor with. So once he loses his job, he will have a place to stay, a place to be, friends who might be able to help him out. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master, now catch this, this is real important. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Now, I haven't got time to get into it. But basically, the, the, the owner was in a no-win because the shrewd manager was exposing some of the owner's business practices that would not have looked good on the owner. And the shrewd manager knew it, so he, took the, he leveraged the business practices of the owner so he can curry favor with the debtors once he lost his job. Does that make sense? So that's what's happening here. And the owner commends him. Basically, the owner's going, you got me. You got me. You got me. Now, it's this illustration that Jesus is about to use as a a, a jump-off point for a teaching for you and me. A teaching for you and me. Now, let's make no mistake about a couple of things here. Jesus is not going to recommend that we are going to act anything like the shrewd manager in dishonest manager. That's not, some of you got a little too excited there. That's how the world operates. Everyone say world. That's how the world operates, okay? Everyone's trying to get an angle. Everyone's trying to get an advantage. Uh, Even if it means robbing people, stealing from people. I can go on a list of things that fit that category. So the master commanded the disciple, the, the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, now here, here comes the... We're going we're gonna to kind of focus here. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Here's the pivot. Here's your pivot verse right there. We're going to pivot to a point. We're going to pivot to a point. So there's something about the shrewdness of the manager. There's something about his creativity. There's something about his energy. There's something about his forth-looking that got the attention here of not only the owner, but as Jesus tells the story, he's going to relate this to you and me. He's going to tell you Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. How are you using your resources? How are you using what God's given you? In in this story, Jesus is saying we we should take what he's given us and you'd leverage it to, to help people 
know him better. We should leverage it to help those who are needy. We should leverage it to advance the kingdom of God. We should leverage all we have in order to make sure more people will be in heaven waiting for us when we get there. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. See, we got to think of resources as part of the Great Commission. God wants us to leverage what we have. Again, verse 9, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they, those who you help with your resources, will welcome you when you arrive into your eternal home. When, when Chris shows up one day in glory, playing that electric guitar. When Chris shows up, there's going to be people who are to go, that's him. That's the guy I was telling you about. Does that make sense? When Carol shows up, hi, Carol. It is so great to see you. People are going to be waiting, and they're going to say, that's her. That's the one that made the difference in my life. When Jen shows up, going to get you, Jen. That's the one. She's the one that helped me when I was needy. And it turned my eyes towards God. She's the one waiting for her, welcoming her when she comes. That's what Jesus is saying. Our resources are so much more than food, than drink, than clothing. They're for advancing the kingdom of God here on earth. Do you believe that today? Folks, I, I just, as a pastor, let me just say this. This is my perspective. Uh, the tithe, or 10%, if you're not familiar with that, I can talk to you about it later. But whatever God gives us, that 10%, we set aside. And, and most people give it to their local church to advance the kingdom of God. Something about the church God established and using it in communities is the way he set things up. That is a simple math problem. The challenge for me is the other 90%. It's all his. How am I using that 90% to advance the kingdom of God? What a great testimony for New Life, the concert last night. Aiming for 2,000, God bringing 11,000. Well, that's advancing the kingdom of God. Royal Family Kids Camp. Every time we give to Royal Family Kids Camp, it's advancing the kingdom of God. There's going to be one more person who's going to hear the gospel, hear about the good news, who's living in a crisis situation. But God's going to break through. And they're going to be waiting for you, Georgina. Waiting for you. Might have a cup of tea waiting for you. Who knows? Great, great church leader, John Wesley. Hundreds of years ago, you turned nerd. But in stewardship, here, here is his motto for stewardship. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. What a great way to live. What a great way to live. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Back to our main parable, Matthew 25, for this series. 
Verse 29, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. The more God trusts you, the more he will give you. Do you believe that today? The more God trusts you, the more he will give you. Music team, come back up. Let, let, me, let me close with this song, this uh, this question before I pray for you. Does God trust you? Does God trust me? Does God trust us? What do I need to do? What do you need to do for God to trust you more? What, what is that for you? What do you need to do for God to trust you more? We're talking about decision here. We're talking about a course correction. We're talking about picking up from wherever you left off, wherever God wants you to do. What is it that you need to do for God to trust you more? Let me pray for you when we got a couple songs here. Father, I'm so grateful for this amazing story in Luke 16. God, I'm so grateful for this just clear teaching on how we are to use what you give us to advance your purposes. God, I'm so grateful that we can live a life not only of being blessed, but, Father, more importantly, being a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.